Welcome. Welcome to our summer series called Church Without Walls. This is the second message we've done remotely. Uh, it's part of a bigger series called Church Without Walls, and I encourage you to check the website out to see the range of activities and devotions and messages that we have prepared to help you to be the church, not just attend church. In this series, my hope is that we would catch the revelation that God's giving us, that church is far greater than a building, a meeting, an institution, or even a group of people. It's people mobilized. It's people mobilized with Jesus. It's wherever we gather with Jesus in our midst, we can be the church. And, I, and I've got a message that I'm going to share with you today. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's, it's designed to provoke. It's designed to challenge you because this is the title of today's message. Paradigms are shifting. Paradigms are shifting. What is a paradigm? A, a quick search on Google uh, gives us the Oxford definition. A paradigm is a pattern or a model. A paradigm refers to belief systems, underlying belief systems that drive theories. Theories that drive models of operating or methodology. So you could say that a paradigm shift is all about stirring up the beliefs that we have in order that we would see a shift in the theories or what we've accepted to be true in order that our methodology would be modified. So the title of today's message is Paradigms Are Shifting. And you have to ask yourself, if you're not someone perhaps uh, uh, that likes to embrace change or you're uh, worried about shifting tides, why do paradigms change? Why does shifting occur? What is happening? I mean, we read in the scripture that God says, I am not a man that I would not lie. God is not a man that he would change and shift. Well, I don't believe God is changing, but I do believe seasons and times are changing. If you look through the history of church, you'll understand that what was established as a group or a family of people gathered around a campfire that traveled out of Haran and into the promised land of Canaan, uh, they became God's special possession as chosen people. That as the seasons changed, things morphed and, and um, they, they shifted and the paradigms or the understanding that people had, had to adapt and embrace what God was leading them into. And that's the key there. Shifting occurs because God stirs us to break us out of patterns and molds. Uh, what I've seen in studying church history very briefly uh, is that when we get caught up in patterns, we create rituals. When we create rituals, we get in a rut. When we get in a rut, we can't be free to move in partnership with God's Holy Spirit. So sometimes God comes to shift us and shake us to snap us out of the rut that we're in. It's an old cliche, I know, but a rut is really just a grave with the ends kicked out. So if you're in a rut, I'm here to tell you that God is shifting and shaking things in order that paradigms would be changed, in order that you would be able to move into the things that God's got for you. I would also say this uh, very briefly at the introduction is that uh, when paradigms are changing, when it's God who's changing paradigms, if you choose to resist, you may cease to exist. If you choose to resist, you may cease to exist. And, and that's, a, that's a hard thing to comprehend. Does that mean we're going to die? No. But it might mean we become ineffective in God's plan for his kingdom. 
So let's not resist what we feel God is doing. Let's search to make sure we understand what God is doing. And let's align ourselves or realign ourselves, perhaps, with what God is leading us into. And I want to look at uh, one particular passage of Scripture today. I want us to unpack this uh, one chapter And I want us to look at the individuals in the story. I want us to see seven key things that we should note. And my prayer and hope is that we unlock the scriptures as we open it up, that God would, by his Holy Spirit, enable us to receive truth, his truth, some revelation, some insight, some stirring and shaking in our mindset in order that our belief structure, the underlying belief structure, might be changed by God. And if God is able to get inside our thick heads and our stubborn hearts and change our belief structure in line with what he's doing in this season, if that changes, then perhaps our theory around what church looks like may be changing. Maybe we are called to be a church without walls. Who knows? If our theories change, if our way of thinking changes, then it leads me to say that our methodology might change. The way we operate might change. And in all these things, we stay in step with God and see what he has for us. So are we willing to be shifted? Are we willing to be changed? Let's look at the scriptures. Why don't you open up to the book of Acts and chapter 10. In this story in Acts chapter 10, uh, I love how um, God orchestrates something and, and Peter is the apostle or the, the disciple of Jesus that is, uh, is the main character in the story, aside from God. And we see I want seven things I want you to note. The first one is this. It's in verse 9 to 11. So Acts chapter 10, verse 9 to 11. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. I'm going to unpack it, but I want you to see this. 9 and 10. The next day, as uh, the travelers went on their journey and drew near to the city, Joppa, Peter was up on the housetop about to pray, and it was the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and coming down to the earth. What's the first thing we've got to note out of the story? Peter has a vision. Most translations say Peter fell into a trance. It's kind of like a, a, a deep internal vision whereby he's not aware of his surroundings. He sees things of heaven and he, you know, you could use your imagination to see this. You could uh, shut your eyes, see a mind movie, whatever, however you want to do it. You know, uh, the Bible says Peter went into a trance and he saw a vision from heaven. Well, ultimately, I suppose what I think about when I read that is, Am I in a position to receive a vision from God? Am I going about my life in a way whereby, as Peter is, I am in a position where God can say, boom, here's a a vision. What do we know about Peter? He was a man who was faithful to serve God in all circumstances. Uh, Even though he was weak at times, he was still faithful. We know Peter was uh, diligent and bold in his faith. He said to the man at the gate, beautiful, stand up, pick up your mat and walk for be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Here we see the diligent discipline of Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ. At about the sixth hour, he went up onto the roof to pray. Why? 
because it was his practice to pray. Is it your practice to pray? Is it my practice to pray? You've got to put yourself in a position to receive that vision from God. That's the first thing to note. In verse 15 of Acts chapter 10, we find our second key thing that we need to note here. A voice spoke to Peter again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Other translations uh, I'm aware of say, do not call those things unclean that God has called clean. So Peter has a vision and then Peter has a revelation. This is the key here. God speaks his truth into Peter's circumstance. We would see that Peter responds to the first instruction in this vision to come and to eat those animals that he saw in the sheet. And Peter says, I cannot, Lord, for I have never eaten those things that are unclean. His truth, his reality, his mindset, his belief, his, his theory and his mode of operating was based on the Jewish law, the Torah. And he'd been trained as a young boy right through his, his adulthood to, to follow that law. And, and yet here we have God saying, actually, those things that you have known up until now, I'm shifting them and I'm changing them. No longer will you call anything unclean or common that I have declared clean or wholesome. You see, the thing is, God often comes to shake us and he stirs us and challenges us in our truth. And I'm, I'm you know, you guys know this. I, I say this all the time. I call that the little T truth. Our little T truth sometimes needs to shift and embrace God's capital T truth. A vision leads to a revelation and a revelation helps us to see God's truth. The third thing I want us to note in uh, verse 19 is Peter receives an instruction. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. If we're going to be used by God, if we're going to be the church without walls, we've got to understand that God's going to give us a vision. He's going to give us a revelation, but he's also going to give us instruction. We're not just to sit in our comfortable place and, and go, Kumbaya, isn't God amazing? No, God says, go. Jesus says, go. The Holy Spirit says, come with me. For there is an instruction. And here's the thing here. What I love about this instruction is he says, I've sent these guys to be with you. Go with them. It's, the key thing I take about, out of that is that God is always interested in us working in partnership with others. It's a spirit of unity and cooperation. Um, what I love about Te Aumuru, where we live is that uh, amongst the ministers fraternity, the ministers association, there is a sense of unified purpose and cooperation in what God wants to do in Te Aumuru. We've got unique flavours and we've got unique ways of operating. Each church has its diversity and, and, uh, and, and we don't let that difference take away from the unity that God's got for us, the spirit of partnership and unity. So the third thing that I want to note here, Peter receives an instruction, but it's an instruction to partnership. The fourth thing we see is in verse 28. He said to them, Peter this is, he says to uh, the, the people that he arrives to see in Cornelius' house, he says, 
You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with you or go that other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. I was sent for. Now I ask, what reason have you sent for me? What I love about this, and I read this, is Peter is stirred. He gets a revelation. He goes. But then his desire is to serve. The fourth thing I want you to note out of this shifting paradigm that God's got us in is that we should have a desire to serve, as Peter did. For what reason have you sent for me? There's a stirring in Peter and a desire to serve. He's, he's with Gentiles. He's not with Jews. He's not with his fellow man. He's gone to another place, to another people group, and he said, how may I serve you? It's really interesting to note, if we're going to be stirred to serve, then often God calls us outside of our context, as in our normal environment, and God always calls us outside our comfort. God calls us outside our context, and he calls us outside our comfort. We're called to go. One of the things that I love about missions trips, that I also don't love about missions trips, is it's really uncomfortable. You don't sleep in your own bed, you often work late, you're often up early to travel, you sit sometimes in a small car for 14 hours in one day to get to the next place, you eat food that you're not used to, you then have to bathe and get dressed and preach to the crowds in the evening, and then you get up the next day and travel to a new place to do the same thing. It's not comfortable, it's not glamorous. But God takes us out of our context, out of our usual environment to stretch us to be dependent on him. God takes us out of our comfort so that we would deny ourselves, deny our flesh and be dependent on his Holy Spirit for what we do. But make no mistake, God calls us to serve others. And it's not usually the people that we would think we would want to serve. <laughs> May that stir you and challenge you as we think about being the church without walls. The fifth thing I'd love for us to note is in verse uh, 34, but it runs all the way down to verse 43. It's quite a long passage. But what I want you to notice is this is Peter preaching the good news. He's proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He's proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came to save the world. At some point, in our calling and our commissioning to be the church without walls, God is going to ask us. He's going to put a demand on us to share the good news. For some of us, that will be in word as Peter preached here such a powerful message. For others, it will be in action. It will be in deed. It will be in attitude and humility and heart as you serve those God's called you to. But make no mistake, God calls us and he calls us to share the good news. We've always got to be ready. We've got to live our lives as a message. As I said recently, those who are not yet saved are always reading the good news message in our lives. They don't read it in words. They read it by observing our lifestyle, our decisions, our choices, our actions, our response, and the way we contribute to other people. You are the message of good news to your neighbours, to your friends, to your family. May it be the message of Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. The sixth thing that I'd really like you to see is right at the end of the chapter, and it's verses 44 to 46. 
While Peter was still speaking his words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out onto the Gentiles also. For they heard him speak with tongues and they heard them magnify God. And then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Man, I love this outcome out of this story. Peter goes and and he shares the message and then the Holy Spirit is almost like the consummation of the message. It's God affirming the message. It's God bringing his fire down and saying, I am blessing what is happening here. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit enables these new believers to preach and declare God's good news in a heavenly language. And tongues, the gift of tongues, the gift of the Spirit that enables them to speak in tongues. And that's evidence that the message has landed on hearts willing to receive it and submit to Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. They believed and God responded. What a powerful sign, but what I'm trying to convey is not just the, the, the significance of the, the, the wonder of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I want you to see that the entire community was transformed. Peter had gone into a Gentile home of a centurion and the entire household heard the message and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. We should expect God to move. I want you to see the story, and I want you to challenge yourself to expect to see God move. We should expect to see God move. These are the first six things that I want you to note out of the story, and I've purposefully left the last one as the opening of that chapter, the beginning of chapter 10. So turn back with me, if you will, to chapter 10 and verse 1. I want you to see that there's a catalyst to this entire thing. And it's not what we might expect. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, that's three in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius! And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So the angel said, Your prayers and your arms have come up as a memorial before God. What is the catalyst to this entire story of salvation and the church being activated outside the walls of the building? What is the catalyst? It's a man called Cornelius, who was faithful and God-fearing, generous and willing to be obedient. And he's outside of the known church. Ha! Contemplate that. Perhaps God is using things outside of the church to stir us, to initiate. Perhaps God is doing things in a way that we wouldn't anticipate And I'm wondering whether our resistance means we might miss what God is doing. If we're going to write things off or we're going to say it can't be of God, if we can say, look, we've always done things this way, we might actually miss what God is doing. And and I, for one, don't want us to miss what God is doing. I want to be clear and say that I'm not pursuing change for the sake of change. 
But I do understand that God says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And so I think he's stirring us, shaking us. He's shaking our paradigms in order that we would shift our belief structure to see new things that he's got for us, his truth, in order that we would embrace the ways that he's leading us forward. As I bring this message to a close, I love to finish with a call to action. And I really just want to say this. Are you willing to allow God to shift your paradigms? Now, you might say yes straight away. But are you really? You might say yes because you think it's the right answer. You might say yes because you actually think you're willing. But do your choices prove that? Do the decisions you make and the submission you're willing to live by prove that you're allowing God to shake your paradigms? Just very briefly, in four different ways, I hope God changes your paradigms over the summer in four ways. I hope God changes your paradigms in how you see God. You see, often we carry a belief structure that's actually not 100% true in how we see God. An extreme example of this would be um, several times I've, I've helped people to unlock their fear of God in an unhealthy way, their unhealthy fear, because they see God like um, Gandalf the Great with a big stick and that he's waiting to shout at them and bring judgment every time they make a mistake. And that's a false view of God. We have to exchange that view for a view that's true. We have to give that over and say, God, that view is not for me. Can you teach me and show me how I should see you? So the first thing I want God to really stir in you is to challenge your paradigms of how you see God. And the second thing, it would be fantastic if you would open yourself up and allow God to shake your paradigm in how you see yourself. Often we look at ourselves through the filter of our past, our failures, our weaknesses, the things about us that we don't like about ourselves. And we see ourselves incorrectly. And God would say to you that he loves you and he sees you as a child of his that when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. I pray that you get that revelation. The third thing, I wonder if you'd allow God to shake your paradigms about how you see church. Over the summer series, we're doing church without walls. We're not meeting in the building. We're activating ourselves in faith through activity challenges and faith challenges. We're reaching outside of our zone and our comfort. Ask God to reshape how you see church. And finally, in that, ask God to reshape how you see your future. What does 2021 look like? Don't look at it with fear. Look at it with hope. May the God of hope fill you with his hope in order that you would see things from his perspective. The work that he's doing, he's doing all things in order that you would come closer to him and walk with him into what he has for you in the future. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, I pray that you would receive this message of Jesus as the Son of God and you would just simply say, I believe it to be true. I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth, lived as a man and died. That God rose him from the dead and put him in his rightful place as our King of all kings. And I choose to accept Jesus Christ as my Saviour and my Lord. 
If you've prayed that prayer, reach out to us. Let us know. We'd love to support you wherever in the world you are and connect you with a local group of people who can walk with you. Because that's what church is. Church is when people get together and keep Jesus in the middle. May God bless you as you enjoy your time over our New Zealand summer or wherever you are in the world and wherever you're listening to this, whenever it is, may you truly find God's paradigms for you in the season of your life as you are the church without walls. Let's be the church in our communities. God bless you all.